Well, if you are wondering where our awesome City Kids lesson went for this morning, we're going to have a special video right after the message this morning. So hold on to your hats for a special time coming up in a few minutes. But we are going to go to the Word of the Lord now. If you brought your Bible this morning, let me invite you to go back to the book of John. We are finishing out John chapter 4 this morning. This is really part two of a two-part series that we began last Sunday as we looked at this story known as the woman at the well, and we saw Jesus share the good news of the gospel with this woman, now we are going to switch gears and finish out this story as we continue uh, in our series this year entitled, Follow Jesus. What does it mean for us to follow Jesus personally in our daily lives? What does it mean for us as a church? What does it mean for New City, even this year, today, to follow Jesus? If you remember last week or if you weren't here last week, just a quick refresher, what we learned last week in the beginning of John chapter 4 from this story is that Jesus pursued in love a marginalized, broken woman with the good news of the gospel. And it showed us among many things, first of all, that we all are desperately in need of God's grace. All people, every tribe, tongue, and nation, that we need Jesus more than we need anything else. It also shows us, though, that Jesus breaks through, and in that time, broke through the sinful barriers that mankind, that that culture and our culture will place between people and the good news. He was not willing to be stopped by cultural barriers to get the good news to this specific woman. And it showed us very clearly that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. And so this morning, as we celebrate God's faithfulness to our church, to to New City, one little church out of the entire worldwide church, as we celebrate that God has been good to us in allowing us to launch this brand new baby church plant that's now become a toddler and then a young child and a sort of a wobbling, confused teenager now as God continues to raise us up to spiritual maturity, I want to challenge us and encourage us this morning with what I'm calling a call to New City from this final portion of John chapter 4 as we see what this woman's response was to Jesus and how she lived her life out because of what Jesus had done for her. So let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll have three very short applications this morning from God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good. Lord, all we do, all we can come before you in your presence this morning is celebrate and give you praise. Father, you have been kind, you have been merciful, Lord, you have provided for us. All that we have needed, Lord, you have provided. Lord, we thank you most of all that you have provided in sending your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to save sinners like me. Father, we thank you that you have built this church upon the truth of your word, and we thank you for the word of God this morning, and Lord, would you open our ears and our eyes to hear it, to believe it, to receive it, and to live it out this morning afresh. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Three applications for us this morning. Number one is this. Keep sharing your story about Jesus. And I say this to us this morning. New City, every single person here, young, old, whatever your story may be of Jesus, keep sharing your story with others, your story about Jesus. Look at the first three verses here as we pick up from where we left off last week. This is verse 27. 
Everything has just happened, the conversation between Jesus and the woman, and now it picks up. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, powerful words, and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him, that is coming to Jesus. So first of all, very quickly, we see again that the disciples were astonished, shocked by Jesus' pursuit specifically of this woman who is a woman at the well. And we learned last week all the things that were going on in her life. But again, let me be clear, Jesus crossed the man-made sinful barriers of racism and of elitism and of self-righteousness to reach out to this woman. And let me be also clear that Jesus broke through this own woman's hard, broken heart as well. That is the power of the gospel. Jesus, the Bible says at the very beginning, Jesus himself was weary. He was tired and he was thirsty. He had taken a long journey, but his focus was to tell this woman the good news and nothing was going to stop him from sharing the story of good news with this woman. And similarly, the woman herself, as she hears Jesus' words unfold, she was astonished. She was shocked that Jesus knew her sins and that Jesus forgave her sins. She is, in fact, the, the only, the very first clear conversion that we have here in the book of John. Here in chapter 4, this is the first time that we can see clearly that a person says, yes, I believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's interesting that it's not a chapter earlier in John chapter 3. And we compared Nicodemus, that man, with this woman at the well. Nicodemus had all of the credentials of the world, and yet he seems wishy-washy at best. We don't know for sure whether or not he believed, but this woman, she is 100% clear that her life has been changed by Jesus. She listened to his words and she believed. What's more, we know from John chapter 3 that she was born again. What God by his grace does in all of us, that her heart had been regenerated by the gracious, loving power of the Holy Spirit, and she believed. And what were the results that took place in her life? Well, immediately, the very first thing John tells us in the Bible, that she left her water jar. She put it down, and she walked away. See, when she met Jesus, her values and her priorities changed. That's a lesson for us, isn't it? Everything changed. She came looking for physical water, and Jesus told her, listen, this water that you seek in this well, it will not satisfy, and it will leave you thirsty. Just as every worldly pursuit that we might chase after, good things or bad, they will ultimately leave you thirsty. But when she met Jesus, she put down her water jar, and she took up what Jesus told her was the living water spiritual water, the saving waters of grace through Jesus the Messiah that will always and eternally satisfy. So brothers and sisters, put down your leaky water buckets. To borrow Jeremiah 2.13, put down the buckets that hold no water, that do not satisfy. Even the best things in this life do not matter compared to the goodness and the grace of knowing Jesus and walking and following after him. 
And if you would call yourself a believer and a follower of Jesus this morning, I would ask you this helpful question, have my values and priorities changed since I first met Jesus? Is God changing me? By the Holy Spirit, am I growing? Am I recognizing more and more as I study God's word and pray and do fellowship together with other believers and share the good news of the gospel with others? Are my priorities and my values daily being changed? Have I dropped the bucket and walked away because I'm filled with the living water? And if you're a believer, you know that, yes, following Jesus is hard. He tells us that. But there are absolutely no regrets in following Jesus. His promises are true. She left her water jar. Then what does she do? She immediately begins to share her story, right? The second she gets the opportunity... She didn't have to give the townspeople all uh, perfect theological answers. She didn't have those yet. She didn't need those. But when they saw that her life had changed and when they heard her talk about Jesus, they were immediately compelled and they went to Jesus to listen. So New City, the point here is this. Keep sharing your story about Jesus. You have a story as well. Regardless of how glamorous you may think it is, it is a miracle In your life, every time Jesus saves a believer and follow after this woman's example and share your story until the day that Jesus calls you home to heaven. How Jesus has saved you from your sins. How Jesus has made you new. And what that looks like in your daily life now. I'm so thankful for the stories, the testimonies that I have seen and heard in your lives as we have done life together this year, hearing men and women who are in the business world who are trying to discern how do I glorify God in my daily profession as I work and as I engage in challenges I've never had to face before, how do I do that? I've heard you talk about how do I glorify God in my marriage? How do I love my spouse? How do I serve my children? I've heard many of you who are one parent Households, how you have said this is difficult, but I want to trust in the Lord and I want to teach my children to know and love and follow Jesus. And whatever may be missing, I trust that the Lord will fill that gap, that he will pour into me, that he loves me, that he has not forgotten about me or forsaken me. For so many of you who have faced physical challenges over this last year, uh, health challenges or financial challenges or figuring out how do I continue to go on each day with all the craziness that has been this year, that you have trusted and put your hope in Jesus. Even when it didn't make sense, those are the stories that you can share with others around you to say, I don't have it all figured out, far from. I make mistakes every day, but my hope and my salvation is in Jesus. Share those stories like she did. But then you also notice that she has a new love for the lost around her. She came to know Jesus and she immediately started talking and she immediately went back to her town and immediately told people all about Jesus because she now loved them because Jesus loved them. She was filled with that spring of living water that Jesus talked about last week. And so she literally, verbally, invited others to come and see Jesus. She used her words, she used her actions, but she was very clear, very literal, very verbal. I don't know how else to say it. She invited people to come, and she told them all about Jesus, and they responded. Share your story. Number two. 
Number two is this, stay hungry for God's mission. Listen now to verses 31 through 38. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together, for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Be hungry for God's mission is what Jesus is saying. He begins by telling the disciples, the followers, my food is to do God's will and to do God's work. See, the disciples were extremely focused on material comforts. They're focused on food. And there's nothing wrong with them wanting to eat dinner. There's nothing wrong with them wanting to offer Jesus dinner. But Jesus has this opportunity to teach them that there is something better and something more important because Jesus was so focused on that woman's spiritual needs that nothing else was going to satisfy. The gospel mission was Jesus highest priority. So you're urgent about eating, he's saying, but I want you to be urgent about the Father's mission. There's a lot of things in his life, and they're valid things, they're good things, but they're things that become food for us in life. Things that are so good to us. You ever been so caught up in something, some activity, some project, spending time that you forget to eat? This has been so much fun, I, I totally forgot to eat. Some of you, you're like, no way, I've never forgotten to eat a meal in my life. Work with me. But what he's saying here is doing God's will and God's work will satisfy you in a way that no earthly thing will ever satisfy. Caring for those in need all around you. Stepping into messy people's lives, knowing that your life is messy too. Hungry for the opportunity to speak the good news of the gospel and to live it out satisfies. You know, and many of us, we have these conversations all the time. How do I know God's will for my life? Right? You ever been there? Have this question. God, what do you want me to do? What is your will for my life? Young and old, we have these questions. Let me suggest to you from the scripture that when you have those questions and they're valid questions, you begin with what God has made crystal clear in his word. God has revealed in his word very clearly, this is my plan for your life. Follow, begin with the clear commands of Scripture, such as these. Because where there is obedience to God's commands, there will be satisfaction for you. Where there is obedience to God's commands in your life, you will find satisfaction. I will tell you the truth. My life, this year, and really for us, this has been almost a six-year process now to plant New City Church. Nothing has been harder and nothing has been more satisfying. I praise God for every moment of the ups and downs of God leading us to be the church here together. And I praise God for every single one of you who has joined into 
and either begun to be or rekindled a hunger for or for, continued in a hunger for God's mission and for us to do that together. God's saying, are you ready to go? Are you ready to follow my direction wherever I might lead, to whomever I might send you to? And our answer is yes. And the reason that it is yes is simply this. Not our abilities, not that we have all our act together or the right words. The reason is this. Jesus said, my food is to finish his work. My food is to finish his work. What's Jesus talking about ultimately? Ultimately, Jesus was talking about the cross. Ultimately, Jesus was talking about dying on the cross. See, in John chapter 19 and verse 30, Jesus, while nailed to the cross, screams out this phrase before he gave up his life. He said, it is finished. It's finished. What's finished? The only way for sinners to be saved, it is finished. The door is open. The way has been made. Salvation has been made available. The work is done, says Jesus. The door is open, says Jesus. It is the only door and it is the only way for sinners to be saved because Jesus did what we could never do. He came to earth and lived the perfect life. No sin, no mistakes, no bad attitude. And then he went to the cross and gave up his life and in so doing paid the penalty for the sins of every single person who will believe in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. His sin, I'm sorry, our sin and our guilt goes on him and his perfect righteousness goes on us. And he didn't end there, right? Three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering, defeating sin, Satan, and death. That's why we're on mission. The mission is very clear. Matthew chapter 28, we call it the Great Commission. It is crystal clear. And any church that really is a church, their mission, their mission statement is this in one very clear form or another. And that is why for us, our mission is to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the mission. And then Jesus talks about when we should do it. He says the harvest is now. So the urgency is now. If you're a fool like me and you go on social media over the last six months, you've seen many memes. Many of them are ridiculous, but there is one in particular that both makes me laugh and bothers me incredibly. Um, it is the Revelation, the book of Revelation uh, meme, and it is a woman who is hunched down with sunglasses, and she's kind of squinting and staring. She's down on her knees, and she's She's examining the neighborhood or she's looking at the sky. She's looking at the world around us is really the implication. Have you seen this one? Okay, if you haven't, it's all right. You get the idea. But the, uh, the, the caption of this woman who is clearly scanning the world, scanning the horizon, she, the, the caption is this. Just checking to see what chapter of Revelation we're doing today. Just checking to see where we're at in the book of Revelation, meaning it's not all sunshine and roses. All the terrible things that we read in Revelation were like dragons and explosions and terrible things and fire, all this... Well, which chapter are we on today? Because obviously 2020 has felt a little bit like that. And I, it makes me laugh, obviously. But the problem that what frustrates me about that and what I want to be very clear about is how we ought to approach the end, how we ought to approach even the book of Revelation. And this is my question. What would actually change for you? If you knew, and you don't know, I don't know, but if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would actually change? 
You ever thought about that? Think about it now. What would actually change in your life if you knew that Jesus was coming back to earth tomorrow to judge sin and to take his own home to heaven? The end. Would you change your portfolio? Sell some stock? One more trip to Disney? Right? No. Waste of time. Worthless. Why? Because it's all going to be gone tomorrow. What would actually change? I want to submit to you that nothing should change because the urgency that we should have if we knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow is the urgency that we should have today. It doesn't matter when he's coming back. We have the promise. We know that he's coming back. It could be tomorrow. It could be 5,000 years from now. I don't know. I know that I want to live the way Jesus describes here, that the harvest is not later. The harvest is now. The urgency is not later, the urgency is now, and that changes my values and it changes my priorities. Jesus says the space between the sowing and the reaping is gone. It is now. So live like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Amen? Third and finally, believe. Believe for a harvest. I think sometimes as Christians, we can just so easily doubt God. We'll think in terms of, well, God used to do that, but he doesn't really do that anymore. He does that in other countries, other times, other places, but not here. But I challenge you, New City, to believe for a harvest. Listen to what Jesus says here at the end. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. They asked Jesus, come and stay with us. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, listen, this is now their testimony back to her. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What a story. Guys, believe for a harvest. Believe that that day and today God saves sinners through the power of his grace. The Samaritan woman was the first conversion in the book of John. It's interesting that the Samaritan people, these marginalized, unlikely people, were themselves the first to say, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Believe that God can do anything. Believe John 3.16 when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Believe. Believe that God can still save. Do you believe that? That the people that you've given up on, the people that you have written off, that God can still save them as well. Do you believe that God still does miracles today, the miracle of saving sinners from death and hell. See, God used her story. God used her testimony. It wasn't dripping in power or persuasion. It wasn't flashy. It was humble. Her story was humble. Her story was true. Her story was genuine. You have those same realities. She says, he knew my sin. He knows your sin. She says, he forgave me. He's forgiven you. She says he's the Messiah. He was, he is, he always will be. The Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior of the world. And the Samaritans asked Jesus. They said, Jesus, will you come and stay with us? And Jesus, of course, stayed with them. Their hearts were eager to hear and to learn, and so he stayed with them. 
just think about this promise for just a second. Jesus is always going to hold up his end of the deal. Amen? Just think about that for a second, right? The pressure is not on you. The call is there. We are called to step into the mission. But Jesus is never going to drop the ball on his end. He's never going to drop the bar. There was an era um, when I was in the gym often, obviously, right? And I, it's a joke. Um, But you can imagine stick figure me, and I'm on the bench press. You know what a bench press is? You lay back on your back, and you have a bar with a whole lot of weight on it, and you're supposed to push this bar up and down. The more weight, the harder it is, obviously. And if you're wise at all about doing this, especially if you're a stick figure, when you go to lift that bar, you need to have somebody else who is there who is spotting. And ideally, you want somebody who is a gym rat, who is a muscle head, who can obviously handle the amount of weight. They're standing in a much better and stronger position to be able to hold that bar and help you lift it up and down, up and down. And if you crumble, they will hold that bar so that your chest does not implode and they will gently hang it back up on the rack. Who are you in that story and who is Jesus? whether it's salvation or it's fulfilling the call of Jesus in your life, I can promise you, you are that stick figure. And Jesus is so incredibly strong. There is not going to be a moment where he will let that bar slip. There is not going to be a moment where he will make that mistake. He is doing all the work. It made me feel real good sometimes. I was like, man, this 250, no problem, until I realized that that guy standing overhead who had more muscles than I had years in my life was doing all the work. He's going up and down. That is Jesus in your life, in our lives. And if you're saying, well, I'm not experiencing opportunities, I'm not sharing the good news of the gospel, let me suggest to you the issue is simply that you need to start moving the bar. Take the bar off the rack. He will do all of the work. But would you just trust him in faith enough to take the bar off the rack? He's not going to drop it. Trust him. He's going to do all of the work. They say... First you believed, and you shared, but now we believe, and we have our own story to share. Let it be true of our church, of New City Church, that that story takes place in our lives, that we as believers keep sharing the good news of what God has done in our lives. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It was by his grace. Let it be true of us that we would be hungry to be on mission for God, that we would be excited about sharing our story, and that we would be urgent about this harvest that we would believe that God can do what he promises to do to bring salvation exponentially to this city and to the world and that we would do it until our dying breath here on earth till we see him face to face in heaven. I want to close by just telling you a story that I heard about yesterday. I was honored to do a celebration of life, a funeral service yesterday. And after I preached the sermon at this service, Many family and friends came up and shared testimonies about this faithful woman, Lynn Gorris. And this is a woman that I've shared with you over this last year. In her 90th year of life, was giving financially to support the ministry of New City Church, was praying daily for our church. Every time that I would go and visit her to to pray with her and encourage her, I would come away blessed and encouraged and energized by her vitality for Jesus. And person after person came up and shared from different eras of her, nine, eras of her 90 years on life, uh, in life, ways that God had been faithful through her. She wasn't perfect, but things that God had done through her. And when we thought that that season was over, we were getting, to clo- getting ready to close the service, uh, a woman about my age came up with her daughter who was a teenager 
And um, she said, I, I'm not going to be able to get through this without getting emotional. And she got emotional, and, and she pulled herself together, and she said, I was Lynn's housekeeper for this last 12 months. I was just hired to come in and clean her house once a week. And Lynn Gorris, at 90 years of age, said to me, will you read the Bible with me? Just that. Will you read the Bible with me? This woman shared, I said no. She said, I went home that night a year ago, and I just felt awful. I didn't feel right, and I promised myself that if she asked again that I would say, yes, I will sit down and read the Bible with you. Do you know that over the course of this last year, she sat down with Lynn, who was 90 years old, whose faith in life was failing, and she heard and she learned the gospel as they turned the pages of Scripture. And this woman stood before us. Nobody in the room even knew her. And she said, I believe in Jesus as my Savior, and so does my daughter standing next to me, simply because of what Lynn did when she said, will you read the Bible with me? Guys, it's that simple. You want to read the Bible with me? How profound. She did it literally until the days and weeks before she passed away. And there will be two more people in heaven with us one day, simply because Lynn was faithful. Let's do the same, New City. Amen?